Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. We've come upon a collection of Elisha's miracles here in 2 Kings chapter 4. And in this study, we see three miracles that speak of God's care for our body, soul, and spirit. The Lord promises to provide for our physical needs, the longings of our hearts, and our greatest need, eternal life. So let's join Pastor Ross as we walk through these miracles and see God's heart for us in the process. Alrighty, let's get started. We've got a great chapter to look at in 2 Kings chapter 4 tonight, picking up where we left off here with Elisha, the new prophet to the nation of Israel. So let's ask the Lord's blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge you once again, your presence here tonight. Lord, it's your God-breathed word in front of us, and Lord, miracles happen without word. Lives are changed and our minds are renewed and our faith is built up and we can be corrected and you could speak a word that could really awesomely transform us tonight. So we pray that that would happen as we cooperate and and use faith with what we're hearing. Just to combine faith with these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I was a kid... uh, me and my two kid brothers and my kid sister, we were all at the bowling alley there in Massachusetts where I was raised and uh, having a lot of fun. My parents were not around. Um, we got a little hungry and pulled together our quarters uh, for some candy uh, from the vending machine. And we deposited the quarters. We agreed on our choice. We pressed the button and down it dropped, but the funny thing was is that there was a clicking noise, and it continued to click, and then down another candy bar dropped, and then there was a clicking noise, and another candy bar dropped. The machine was stuck in dispense mode, (laughs) and we were so happy. (laughs) Oh, you should have seen our eyes lit up like Christmas morning. Now, yeah, we hit the jackpot, in, indeed. An endless supply of candy bars coming down from heaven, as it were. Now, without a proper moral compass to guide us, uh, we left that bowling alley quite padded down and were eating candy bars for many weeks to follow uh, because we had been provided an endless supply. Now, sitting at my desk... Uh, reading the story here that opens up here in chapter 4. Somehow, I thought about that childhood memory. Because in these opening verses, there's an endless supply that falls down, as it were, from heaven into the hands of a needy widow. and uh, It's like heaven is clicking and dropping and clicking and dropping, just kind of just... Fence mechanism of the Lord is, uh, shows no sign of stopping. And, and unlike our stockpile of candy, uh, there's nothing shady about the widow's endless supply. It's all on the up and up. 
because the flow that comes down there is not from a broken machine, but from a merciful God. And so there's a new prophet in town. Here's some uh, context. His name is Elisha. He has replaced Elijah. And uh, he's front and center in this miracle, of course. Uh, In fact, chapters 4 to 7 and onward really are the heart of what's called uh, the Elisha miracles and ministry portion of 2 Kings. And so uh, it starts out with this wonderful miracle of endless provision. Verse 1. Now, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, it's kind of like a school of seminary there, cried out to Elisha. Elisha is like the dean there. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Now go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left over. So... Let's pause there. Uh, Now, there are three miracles that we're going to read about. That's the first one. Two more to come. There's many more to come, but for tonight, we're going to make it to the bottom of verse 37 there. But I kind of see that these historic miracles that we're going to take a look at, they actually happen. But from my perspective, they're really speaking to the way that God cares for our needs. And... uh, in three different ways for three different miracles. He cares for our body, our soul, and our spirit. And so first here, we're going to see he's promised to trust, uh, that we can trust him to take care of our practical daily necessities, the needs of our body. And then coming up, he promises to satisfy the longings and desires, the need of our soul. And then the third miracle will uh, will be about him and his promise of eternal life, the need for our spirit. Now, let's take a look at the the, uh, provision for our bodies or how God promises to take care of our day-to-day necessities, which is something uh, that we are all kind of concerned about from time to time. Now, here, in this case, a desperate one, indeed, a widow with two boys in financial crisis. So, uh, the, the, the woman and Elisha happened to know each other because her late husband was one of his seminary students. That's how you could think about that. Dean Elisha, he was kind of the mentor of young men who would be in the ministry there. And um, uh, so the first thing you see is that this young minister in training died and she was left alone. Now, the first implication is interesting to me 
is, is that it is not a biblical mandate for those in ministry to be celibate because this man is married. Now, uh, here and in Leviticus chapter 21, the Levites were all married. The Levites were the priests of God who represented him and did his work in the temple for those hundreds of years. They were not required to be celibate. Thankfully, in my humble estimation, I'm quite pleased to see that. And uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, as you all realize, that the overseer, the pastor of the New Testament church was also married for the most part. Uh, the stipulation there was that he was monogamous, that he was faithful to his wife. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 5, the apostle Paul said, it is the Christian right and biblical right of the apostles to all have a wife. And in fact, he himself had to have been married because he was a former Pharisee. And by law, legal Jewish law, he had to have been married. Now, his wife left him. Probably, that's what it appears to be. And he told everybody, hey, I'm single. And, you know, I choose to remain single. But everybody has their gift. He says, I think it's a good idea concerning the, the, the times that we, they lived in then as well as now. Uh, but he said everybody has their gift. And so uh, we just see, uh, where did that idea come from? I'm glad you were thinking that, that, that pastors need, or priests need to be celibate. Next Sunday, our text will say these words. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They forbid people to marry. So that's the origin of that idea that we uh, to forbid somebody from a natural state of matrimony. And so, uh, moving on, the man of God in question was married. He had two boys, but he died. Now, without the husband, there's no income. And so, the creditors come calling at her door. She has no life insurance, right? So there's no social security. There's no uh, uh, bankruptcy as an option. Um, but she still has assets. She has two boys, and they could be enlisted by law as indentured servants. And so just think of her uh, dismay. She's lost her husband. And now the creditors want to take her two boys to work off the, the, the debt of the household. So you may not have shekels, but you have sons. And that counts. And we'll take the boys. Now, uh, Warren Wearsby just notes on the side, even dedicated, devoted people training in ministry have their troubles. So uh, she makes her need known. Now, the widow can't imagine losing her husband to death and her boys to servitude. So she goes straight to Pastor Elisha, right? He's kind of got a pastoral role. That's why I'll call him that. And, And in being distraught, she cries out. And notice she's in trouble and she's not gonna go it alone. Now, some people keep their troubles to themselves for whatever reasons. I don't know what it is. It's probably pride or just a love of being independent or uh, you don't want to impose. And for whatever reason, they choose to suffer alone, even though God has put a structure in place with the body of Christ and believers and leaders uh, to lend support when Christians and God's people are hurting 
And so, uh, of course, sure, nobody wants to always be constantly uh, voicing every little difficulty or, or hiccup along the way. That's really not healthy either. But when times are desperate like this woman, you seek support. You seek support. You get over the pride or whatever it is that's stopping you. That's why God put the structure in place. And so she's not going to go it alone. She's going to voice her uh, her need to somebody who may be of uh, ability to help. Uh, James writes, you have not because you ask not. And I think that's a nice way of looking at that. She asks, so she's going to receive. You know, sometimes in the church... We'll, we'll hear, so-and-so just filed for divorce. It's a complete and utter shock and surprise to us. Didn't even know there was marriage trouble. So-and-so just got out of the hospital, just had surgery. Why didn't you go? Didn't know about it. Didn't know about it. Take advantage. Take advantage of your, your, the Christians in the pew, the leadership here, uh, wherever you're at. God has provided you that. And she, she's, she knows that. And so no way she's going to try to slug this out alone. And she, that prayer request comes forth uh, to Elisha. And Elisha inquires, now, very interesting here. How can I help? What do we have to work with at home? What do you have on hand? Now, there's something very important here because it's a recurring theme when God wants to help his people with a physical need. So uh, we are paying attention here. He, he often does not ma- wave a magic wand and say, like to her, go home and you will find 10,000 shekels in a wicker basket on your front door. You know, usually it comes along this way. What, what do you have on hand? Let's start with what you have, not with what you don't have. This is a very important thing. That's what he does. And he often likes to involve us in the process to build our faith and our character. We just want, like, to have Christmas morning happen and whatever it is we need, you know, to wake up in the morning and there it is, all gift-wrapped and done for us. But that's not usually how God works. He wants to involve you. And he wants to take the little thing that you have and have it completely yielded over to him and watch how he could stretch that out and make that work and do something quite miraculous. Now, you know, John chapter 6, the people are all listening to Jesus teach out in the boondocks, you know. They're in the Judean wilderness. And uh, it's time to eat. And the Lord says, what do we have on hand? Well, we have a little lunch. Oh, give it to me. Give what you have over to me and watch what I can do. Fully yield the resources that you already have and watch the blessing of God as you yield your heart and your mind and your talents and your gifts and your availability and your meager resources. Yield that over to me and watch what I can do with it. That's just really what he's always doing. Uh, Back in the 80s, there was a song, a popular Christian song, Ordinary People, and uh, some of you are old enough to remember, just like that little lad who gave Jesus all he had, how the multitude was fed with a few fish and loaves of bread. What you have may not seem much, but when yielded to his touch, 
of the master's loving hand, then you'll understand how your life could never be the same. Now, uh, he did the same with Moses, right? What if they don't believe me? You're sending me down there. And he said, you know, uh, you know, he's asking for a miracle. God, would you show up and do something miraculous? And the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Again, what do you, what do you have? Yield it to me. And it was a staff. And he yielded. Consecrate to me all that you are and all that you have. And you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of scary. You know, the little that I have is kind of precious to me. What did Elijah tell the widow who was near starvation? She had a little left, and the Lord said, tell her to make somebody else the bread. And then I'll minister to her. Fully consecrating the little that we have and all who we are, over to him, a fully consecrated life, fully dedicated resources that are totally open to him. And he comes and he blesses. And besides that, he loves involving us because it's so much fun. You know, he tells uh, Peter comes to Jesus. Well, actually, the authorities of the temple come to Peter and say, hey, what's up with your teacher? Doesn't he pay the temple tax? And so Peter goes in the house to tell Jesus, but Jesus starts speaking first because Jesus just knows everything, right? So he says, so Peter, tell me, uh, would, would we be exempt? Are the sons of the king exempt from paying taxes? Yes or no? He says, yeah, they're exempt. Therefore, I am exempt from the temple tax as father, and you would be as son exempt. But... So that we don't offend them, we're going to pay the tax. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to work, go cast in the line, pull out the first fish on the line, open up its mouth, and inside the mouth, you're going to find a coin. And I want you to give that coin to them for my tax and your tax. Now, what did he do? He didn't just say, Peter, you know, when you go home, you're going to get an envelope in the mail. Open it up. There it is. Go, go work. Go to work. You're a fisherman. Spend the afternoon. I'm going to bless that in, in just a wonderful way. And so, you know, it's a lot of fun. Can you imagine Peter's face? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I got to catch a fish. Now it's going to have the little, oh, there's a fish. <laughs> he opens up the mouth, and there it is. And, and how great of building his faith was that? I mean, that's a lot more of a way to build somebody's faith than just to send it to him in the mail, all right? And so he wants to, uh, that's what he said, John chapter 21. Hey, you guys, you, want, you need fish? Try it on the right side. So he, they, they throw the net over on the right side and it fills up. You just see, he wants to involve us. He wants us to listen to his voice, do it his way, fully consecrate our hearts, our minds, our wills, our agendas, and, our, and the little resources that we have. And then he says, watch what I can do. And so the same thing is happening again, over and over again, building our faith, using our lives. So the miracle unfolds in faith. Uh, she borrows some empty jugs and containers. She told, she's told, get a lot of them, all right? 
And so she bring, she, he says, bring them home, line them up, and start pouring. <laughs> so and I know you're getting tired of hearing me say I want to see the video of this, but I want to see the video of this. Okay, come on. She's pouring. Oh, by the way, the word is very rare for, for the word for her oil. I just have a flask. It doesn't even, it's not even translated, but the word is just, I just have a jar like of lotion. It's a handheld jar. That's all she has. So from this little flask, she's pouring into those big Mediterranean jugs, and it just keeps, son, bring the next one. It's still clicking. Come on. It's pouring out and out and out. Oh, I just need to see that. What I want to see is the look on her face and the look on the boy's face, you know. And, and, and this isn't a circus act, okay? So that's why he says, go in your house, shut the door. This is for the neighbors, like, to, to all uh, stare in amazement at some kind of spectacle. It's a private need. It's a private miracle. Close the door and watch God work. Now, just amazing as, you know, she acts in faith and her faith is increased. Lord, give me more faith. Why don't you try stepping out with the little faith you do have? Because stepping out in the little faith you do have allows God to do a work that will increase your faith. So you just don't, that's just the way it is. You pray for patience. The word in the Greek is hupomene. It means to remain under So you're saying to God, Lord, give me patience. Help me to remain under. That's what you're praying. Keep it on top of me and help me to remain under it. You see, that's how you develop patience. It's not waking up because you said the prayer and in the morning you're magically more patient. It's that you exercise by being under it and remain in it and walk through it. Same way with faith. You're not just going to wake up and he's going to just deposit some fresh faith in there. I, I mean, I, you know what I'm saying, right? Charles Spurgeon on this verse, she did what she was commanded to do and she did it by faith. Elisha couldn't be the one to gather the containers and pour the oil for her. He knew the widow needed to trust God herself. Above all else, God wants to grow us in faith because faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. And so... Now the flow stops when she's out of the jugs, right? So I can just hear her saying, okay, hey, next. I need the next one. And mom, there's no more. And the oil stopped. Now, I just happened to wonder when the oil stopped and there were no more jars, that was her choice of how many jars to have. That was their faith they exercised they kind of had a suspicion that God was going to do something with these and they chose how many they chose. I'm just wondering if when it stopped, they looked around and just realized, you know, we could have had three more. (laughs) We could have five more. We could have had 10 more. We could have had 20 more. Now, they did a good job because it was going to work. It's going to pay their bills and get them out of hock. Right? They did a good job. But what might have been? You know Jesus with that one line that he'd throw out a lot. Be it done to you according to your faith. 
We have some part in all of this. How, how, how big did you dig the ditch for the water to come flowing down? Last study, remember? I mean, did you work hard? Did you dig it deep? The, di- digger, the, the digger you deeped it. <laughs> the digger you deeped it, the more the water would have been in there, right? You followed it. So you're just as bad as me. The deeper they dug, the more it held. All right? That's amazing. Dig deep. When God's prompting you about something, uh, expect him to do it and prepare. Just, I mean, you don't want to shortchange yourself. You don't want to shortchange yourself. Okay, so uh, it's time to sell all of the, the containers. Uh, and she has enough to pay her debt and maintain a life with their two boys until they're old enough to work. Awesome. Now, the secret to endless provision then, before we move on, is all that you are and all that you do and all that you have is consecrated over to God and his uh, cause. Keep pouring out. Keep pouring. Keep giving. Keep trusting. Keep refreshing others. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 close. That's I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right, just a little bit further. I'm going to take a guess. It's between 18 and 20. You got it. Bingo. All right. Hey, uh, can I just say, could you please stop worrying about your daily necessities? It really bugs him. It really bugs him. Wouldn't it bug you if your little kid is like, Dad, Mom, can I have some Cheerios today? Can we have milk too? Constantly afraid that you can't take care of them every single day wondering. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, could you guys please not be like pagans? The pagans run after these things. They don't have gods. They, they, they don't have a god. They bow down to the, the work of their hands. They ought to be concerned about their daily necessities. But you have a father in heaven who knows what you need before you even ask. So take a look at the birds. Take a look at the, the beautiful flowers. He takes really good care of them, and you're much more valuable than they. All right. The miracle of daily provision. Now, 8 through 17. Second miracle. So one day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, now, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? 
She replied, I have a home among my people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked Gehazi. And Gehazi says, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Okay, so we saw the miracle of physical provision. Now I see here a provision for the soul. Now God cares for our longings and the desires of our hearts, the spoken ones and the unspoken one here. And so if you're wondering the difference between the soul and the spirit, um, The soul is kind of the personhood, the personality, the seat of the intellect and the emotions. The spirit's the part of us that connects with God, the life impulse that that when we're born again, our union with our spirit and his spirit. And so here's a, a soulish desire. Now, an act of kindness is shown to Elisha by this couple here, and it's going to boomerang. Back to her, and that's usually how it is when we help people, when we help in God's cause. You know, uh, God will never be outgived. Here we go, the second time now. (laughs) Outgiven. All right, so the city of uh, Shunem here, uh, think of it this way Uh, Elisha lives in Abel Maholda, right? He lives down here. 15 miles north of him is where, the, where this couple lives. And 15 miles above them is where the school of the prophets is on Mount Carmel. All right? So right in between is this couple's house. And so it's a regular commute for him. He goes to where he's the dean of the school there on Mount Carmel. It's a nice retreat center where they get away. They do a little fasting and prayer and teaching. It's a, it's a nice place to be. But it's a long place. It's a long travel route. So it's broken up quite nicely there by their home. And they would stop in. They're believers uh, and they have a friendship. And so uh, now this wonderful woman of means is going to bless him. Now, uh, she's rich. She's well off, the scriptures say, but she's rich in faith also. She's rich in good deeds, which is the kind of rich that counts with the Lord. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus uh, talks about being rich toward God. That's the phrase. You will be blessed if you're rich toward God because there are people who are wealthy, but they're, they're poor toward God. And that wealth doesn't mean a whole lot. And so she's a role model for those who have been blessed financially. Uh, and she's thinking to herself, hey, perhaps God blessed us so that we could bless others and share and help in his cause. Because the goal as a believer is not just to keep enriching self. So she talks to her husband. They have a flat roof there in the Mediterranean. And she says to him, you know, sugar muffin, listen. (laughs) We've got the resources. We've got the room. How about we do a little remodeling? We have a guest room on on, on the roof there for our minister friend who's always passing through. The husband's really quiet and kind of removed. He doesn't seem like he's filled with a whole lot of faith. He's a kind of a quiet 
uh, guy, but he's a hard worker, and he says yes, and he goes to it, and there's a, a rooftop inn now uh, there at Shunem, and it's completed, and Elisha and his guest, his attendant Gehazi, check in to what is called the prophet's quarters. Now, have you heard of prophet's quarters? Uh, they call that, like a, sometimes there's a parsonage or there's a retreat center and they, they'll have a little room upstairs somewhere and they call it the prophet's chambers or the prophet's quarters from this verse here. That's very popular. Uh, now, I imagine this time that he visits, she bakes some bread. They're tired. They're hungry. They've come a long way. Uh, and she makes a savory stew and the four of them sit and they share warm fellowship. There's the, she and her husband and Elisha and his attendant Gehazi, right? So it's a beautiful evening and then he goes upstairs and he, you know that room looked nice. There were, the, you know, those woolen throws that ladies make and they put them everywhere and I guess you call them throws because you just throw them around. I don't know. I'll find out when they get home. You just know it was cozy with the candles and the everything. And he's just laying there and they're on bunks, you know, and he's just like, it's this woman. You know, a heart of gratitude is hard to contain itself when it's full with thanksgiving. He wants to do something. He's all stirred up. And so uh, he sends Gehazi out on a reconnaissance mission. Find out how we could bless this woman. So here comes the, uh, the offer. He says, listen, you've taken a whole lot of trouble to make us feel quite at home. You're always ministering to me, but what can I do for you? Now, I've got some powerful connections. Can I use my influence with them to help you in any way? Can I put in a good word for you? And I love her humble response. Another reason to admire this woman. She's a a very admirable woman of God. She says in a humble way, she says, in a, with humility and contentment, she says, hey, I've got a nice home here. My friends, I live in Israel. I'm happy. I'm good. I'm good, she says. No worries. And now further brainstorming is in order. You know? So he says, Gehazi, help me here. And Gehazi says, well, you know, boss, she has no children. Her husband's getting older, and you know, it'd be nice for her to have a son because he's not going to live forever, and now we're going to have another widow with a problem. So uh, the spirit touches Elisha's heart with some confirmation, and he just smiles, gets that look, and he says, call her in here. So she comes in. You know, she's thinking, what's up? You guys need another blanket? You know, so she's standing in the doorway. The furthest thing from her mind, is what's going to come out of Elisha's mouth. You guys okay in here? Everything good? And he says, you know what? You may need to remodel again. This time next year, you're going to need a nursery for the son you'll be holding. And she, there's an audible gasp, right? I heard it. And she's, she's like, and just to call him pastor, pastor, don't get my hopes up like that. Don't even go there, all right? Don't, don't play with me about that. And uh, Elisha just smiles. You're going to need diapers. (laughs) So sure enough, the text tells you, verse 17, she discovers it wasn't just empty words or uh, wishful thinking. Uh, God saw her heart, knew what she really wanted, 
She'd been delighting herself in the Lord, Psalm 37, verse 4, and he has given her the desires of her heart. Because that what, that's what God wants to do. He's not always waiting, you know, to send a, a lightning bolt your way. He's thinking, he's the God who's thinking, how can I bless with every good and perfect gift coming down? That's the kind of God he is. But we often forget that he cares about what we care about. The things that have embarrassed you, he wants to fix that. She's embarrassed she doesn't have any kids. In her culture, that's shameful. She doesn't say, hey, it'd be nice to to have a son because she she doesn't have the faith right now for that. Her husband's older and guess there's a problem. That's why she doesn't have kids. John 10, verse 10. I've come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But me, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, this overflowing, abundant life. And so we get to see that here. So the first miracle was God provides for our physical needs. The second one, he comes through with our longings and desires too. But wait, there's more. The story's not over. Let's finish up. 17 to 37, and we'll be done. Now, but the woman became pregnant, right? And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her, verse 18. The child grew, and one day went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, The boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. "Uh, Why go to him today, he asked. It's not a holiday. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right. Shalom there in the Hebrew. It's, it's okay. Peace, she says. She saddled the donkey and said, said to her servant, lean on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run and meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband okay? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I even ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't get my hopes up? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, don't greet them. If, if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy's not awakened. 
When Elisha reached the house, there was, a boy, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call a Shumanite. And he did. And when she came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Awesome. Taking care of the body, ministering to our souls, and giving life to our spirits, which is kind of the big ticket item, right? So verse 17, the woman, just like Elijah said, uh, has a baby boy, but the joy is going to be short-lived, right? Probably he's four or five years old because he sits on her lap, right? And he is carried to the second story by her. He's four or five years old. Uh, Not much more than that. And so the day it happened, he's with dad out in the fields and he's complaining of a headache and a servant takes him to mama. Now it's more serious than dad realizes because he's dead by noon. And so it's either an aneurysm, pediatric aneurysms happen, they're kind of rare. A heat stroke can kill you, especially a five-year-old. And uh, meningitis, something like that. Um, But she's thinking, you know what? The prophet spoke words that brought conception in a miraculous way. Why couldn't God do the same thing through the same man about the same miracle? So she's got a little bit of faith spark there. Now, Now, sometimes God allows the death of a miraculous thing that he's given us, a gift. And he allows death to kind of snatch it away a little bit. And then he watches us. It's kind of a test. It's a time to grow in our faith. And she's going to pass the test for sure. So she puts him, look at this. She puts him on Elisha's bed. This is your problem. <laughs> you know? And uh, I felt that obligation like, whoa, that's a big problem. And uh, gets a servant and a donkey and heads out. Uh, to find Elisha without telling dad the boy is dead. Now, why does she keep him in the dark? Uh, Well, probably, he probably doesn't have a lot of faith and he's going to want to bury the boy immediately. There goes the miracle. Honey, let's get the man of God. Perhaps, honey, come on, really? And in that day and age, the husband would just say, honey, you're kind of out of your mind here. It, there's, nobody's going to raise anybody from the dead. Let's just put the boy in the ground. So she says, hey, I'm going to the man of God. He thinks, well, the boy's headache is gone because she's leaving, right? So he doesn't know. And uh, she's going to take off now and go out there. And uh, he says, but it's not a holiday. Why are you going up to Mount Carmel? We go there on the Sabbath. It's not the Sabbath. And we go on a special holiday. They have services out there. Why are you going now? And she says, shalom, shalom, honey. 
It's all good. It's all good. Go back. Go back and work, honey. We'll take care of this later. I'll, I'll, I'll fix your favorite supper tonight. Just go. Go away. All right. All right. That's what my wife says when she wants me to do something. All right. Uh, so, and it works every time, I might say. Um, so, she makes it there. Elisha spots her from a distance. Mount Carmel has a good view up there. We've been up there, praise the Lord. And uh, Gehazi said to run out and find out what's up. And interested, she doesn't trust him. She's a woman. She's got that discernment thing. There's something wrong with Gehazi. Well, we don't find out till next chapter. But she doesn't want to tell him. Oh, it's you. Uh, everything Okay. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Peace. Shalom. And she goes to Elisha. And then, you know, then the overflow, the damn burst of emotion. She pours it out. In fact, it's such a scene, an emotional scene, verse 27, that Gehazi tries to keep her contained and not getting too close. And Elisha says, leave her alone. I love this part. Leave her alone. She's really upset, man. Can you see that? Hey, and the Lord has not told me why. I, he hasn't made it clear to me. I can't discern anything here. Uh, Alexander McLaren, a Scottish preacher, the 1800s, says this about that. How much better would it have been for the church if its teachers had been more willing to copy his humility and said about a great many things, the Lord has hid it from my understanding. In other words, you know, we always feel like we've got to have the answer for every little thing, you know. Instead of rushing to fix everything, make everything better, make us look like, hey, we got it all together. We know every, you know, we're smart. God is always talking to me. I know the Bible and all of that. He just says, hey, I, I'm clueless here. I don't, I'm a prophet, but I, I don't get this. I don't know. The Lord's not showing me. That's okay. It's really okay not to have all the answers all the time. Amen? Okay. Out it all comes. And here comes the bitter thing. She says, did I even ask for a son? Whose idea was it? Was it my idea? Did I come to you and say, hey, you know what? I would really like a son. It wasn't even on my radar. You're the one who put it in my head and my heart. And didn't I tell you, don't fool around with me with this. This is a tender spot for me. He gets it. He knows the kid's dead. So he tells Gehazi, who now we're like wondering, was the lady not like him? You know, why doesn't she trust him? Take my staff, run. Don't talk to anybody. The husband's going to find the body and want to bury it. Get going. (laughs) Take my staff, it'll work. Just put it on his face and bam, life will come. He comes back. He goes, I did what you said, but it didn't do anything. Maybe it's because of what's hidden in your heart that we're going to find out next chapter because God doesn't want to do a miracle through you, Gehazi. Because you're not a clean vessel. Not a clean vessel. You're not going to bring somebody to life through a, through a guy like Gehazi. Wait till you find out what he's really like. So heads up for Elisha. You know, he's probably like, why did it work? And he's probably going to find out. And so um, 
is going to have to uh, act fast, and so they're going to get to the house together where the five-year-old is now lying dead upstairs in the bed. So once again, the doors are closed as we wrap up here and see this beautiful miracle. There's prayer. Now, it's what Elijah did with the widow's son, the symbolism of stretching out, uh, lining up mouth for mouth and hands with hands and eyes to eyes. And it's got some symbolism there and it's very, very intriguing. It's a beautiful illustration of what it means to be born again. Now in Ephesians chapter two and verse one, it says that we are all, uh, spiritually speaking, like the boy, dead. It says, but you, however, were dead in your sin. And so... We are like corpses, spiritually speaking, until God comes and regenerates us. So here's a picture of you and me, dead, corpses, needing to be born again. And Jesus, our Savior, Elisha is a type of Christ in this way, who comes and stretches himself out over our soul, and we are joined with him. Eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hands to hands. Well, now with the infusion of the life of Christ, we have eyes that are open to the truth. We see now when we come to life from a heavenly perspective, we see souls in need. We see the things God sees. Mouth that was dead and filled with curses and blasphemies and slander, bickering and arguing and profanity, now filled with his praises, mouth to mouth, from God's mouth to our mouth, his eyes to our eyes, his hands stretched out to our hands that did wrong and sin. Now, in the resurrection, in the regeneration, because of the union of our soul, With Christ, we do good deeds. We imitate Christ. We we go about doing good. Being a Christian and belonging to God is not about adopting a new set of do's and don'ts or a philosophy or a religion, but it's the living God stretched out on the human soul and infusing and imparting life everlasting. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you have not had that union, you do not belong to him. There's no other way to get to heaven. Isn't that how we got here, folks? I mean, Genesis chapter 2, he took his hands and he formed our hands and he formed our body there. And then mouth to mouth, he blew into our nostrils, it says, and man became a living being. Do you see? that but what happened there in the garden we let us make man in our image there is something about us that reflects a triune god father let us who's us the lord elohim is plural the gods the lord at god is one that says the gods in hebrew is one (laughs) let us make man in our image father son holy spirit okay think of it this way father son Holy Spirit. Then he creates man. Spirit, soul, body. 
His spirit, the Holy Spirit, and our spirit connected in the garden originally. When we sinned, that spirit bond was broken and we were soul and body, no spirit. We're corpses, spiritually born. What's that word? Stillborn. Born spiritually, stillborn. That's why Jesus says, your soul and body, if you die soul and body, you perish. But if you're born again, the spirit, father, son, spirit, touches you. You get that third life dynamic called a spirit. And you are connected and you have life. But it doesn't come without mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. And I, my mind has to go to the cross when twice it says he stretched himself out. Oh, come on. Who stretched himself out who breathes into us life? It was him. And the only way any of us get regenerated is because those sins were taken off of us and stretched out on a cross. And what does Romans chapter 8, verse 6 say? We died with Christ. We were joined with him somehow mystically on that cross. We were in him when he died. And when he rises, we rise to new life. And so that's the picture there, laying on the bed. He's laying on top, infusing that life into him. And that boy's going to come up to a new life. The picture of being born again. The picture of your life. The picture of my life, if you're born again. See, and then forever, you'll never have a question about, well, I know I, I do good deeds, so I must be saved and everything okay. This happened with, you would know if some prophet is sprawled out on top of you and pressing eyeball to and mouth and hands. You just get that in the same way. You know if God's spirit has been pressed into you and you join to him, that is what gives you assurance that you're going to wake up and, and find yourself in heaven with your sins forgiven and life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these three great, awesome miracles that just tell us over and over again, you care about us. You care about every part of us, every longing, every need, whether it's physical, whether it's in our, the deepest part of our hearts, or whether it's our spirit. You've come to, to make us alive and to bless us and take care of us. So we just thank you. Help us, Lord, to cooperate with your spirit because of your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing the closing song.
reflection and may my reflection tonight be on making sure that we have the right perspective on God that he loves us and he wants to help us and he he likes us too he likes you as much as he loves you that's a hard thought you know you know he loves you but does he like me too he likes you too and 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 We are the ones aware of how much we fall short and our sinful thoughts and our crazy ideas, right? And so we think that he must not be pleased with us. But Christ, God sees you already complete and done. He sees you as already seated in heavenly places, perfected. So he gets that view of you as you will be one day. He's able to love on you that way as well. So... Check out your attitude. Do you think God is just loving you and liking you? Or every little thing that challenges you, you're thinking, oh, there it is. He's just can't wait to kill me. (laughs) He's He's looking for a way to just take me out, you know? Just stop that. That's bad. That's nonsense. You're wasting a lot of good time. All right? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would change the attitudes about you in our own hearts and minds that are tweaked and wrong and don't represent you biblically well. Help us to know you as a loving father who likes us, who wants to spend time with us, who who is gracious and merciful and cuts us slack and who understands our weaknesses and knows our sins and loves us anyway. So help us, Lord, to to embrace you as the loving God you are and not doubt your motives with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. There's prayer at the cross for you. We'll see you Sunday morning. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.